0: Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, guys, we're, we're winding down our study
1: in 1st Thessalonians and Paul is kind of getting to the closing part of what he's wanting to share with the Thessalonians and and you know that throughout this letter he's been kind of emphasizing their faith in the midst of the uncertain times that they lived in and and we've been trying to learn from that for our lives because the reality is is that we're living in uncertain times aren't we I mean you were really feeling good about gas prices dropping weren't you Until you woke up one day this week and noticed that they already jumped 8 to 10 cents back. It's like, oh no, what's going on? It's uncertain times, isn't it? And we're not just talking about gas prices. I mean, the reality is of everything. You just don't know anymore. I mean, I can remember 20 years ago that the big argument in political circles was about job security. Remember those arguments? We don't talk about that anymore, do we? Because... The reality is, is there is no security. Period. And not to mention a culture that's changing completely. I mean, moving in a rapid way, changing all around you to where, how do I live in the midst of that as a believer? How do I gain strength each day to live and have faith? So those are the things that Paul's been talking to us about. And so today, he's going to shift now in his closing statements, in his closing paragraph that he's going to share with us here, we're going to start in verse 12, and he's going to tell us to focus where, on the most important thing for you if you're going to maintain your faith. What's that, George? He's going to tell you that, really, the reality is, is that you were not created to go it alone. Did you hear me? Here, You may want to write that down. You weren't created to go it alone in these times of uncertainty. It's not for you just to struggle on your own. You are to go it with others. You're to live as a part of a community of believers who will encourage you and strengthen you. See, that's the scary thing about the uncertain times, is that we think we've got to do it all by ourselves, and I don't have the strength or the grace to do that. But the reality is, is you don't have to go it alone. You weren't meant to go it alone. You were meant to face the uncertain times that are ahead of us as a part of a family. The family of God's people encouraging you. And and let me just stop. I'm not just talking about our church, you know, being a part of our church. Yes, that's the most important part of it, but you work with other Christians, don't you? You're to be an encouragement to them. They're to be an encouragement to you. You've got family members who are Christians. They're to be an encouragement to you. You're to be an encouragement to them. It's about living as a part of God's family. That's how we're going to get through it. Did you understand what I'm saying? That's how we're going to progress. So I want you to notice with me. Let's look at verse 12. We're just going up to verse 18. And look at what he says to us. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. These are the things he's going to talk about that you and I need to do as far as living together, if we're going to if we're going to survive in these times of uncertainties, if we're going to maintain our faith, if we're going to persevere in our Christian walk, these are things that we need to consider. So what are we going to do here? We're going to take this passage, we're really going to divide it into three sections. We're going to see, first of all, the issue of spiritual leadership. Because if you're going to have a family, if you're going to live as a family, you've got to understand spiritual leadership. He's going to talk about church life. We see that in verses 14 to 15. And then he's going to talk about personal holiness. Your personal walk with God, verses 16 through 18. So let's look, first of all, at the issue of spiritual leadership. Look at what he says there, verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. A couple things I want you to see first of all, is this. Here's the first one. It's very important. Acknowledge your spiritual leaders who guide you. Acknowledge your spiritual leaders who guide you. In their culture, they didn't really struggle with this, but this is a struggle for us. What do you mean, George? Well, we're Americans. We are in a culture. Can I be honest with you? Have you noticed, like I read the polls and they say that you know such and such a percent likes the president and even lower percent likes the people in congress all right i think it's like 14%. How in the world did they get in there, you know? But here here's the reality. It's always been that way. Because we're Americans. What do you mean? What has that got to do with anything, George? We have a natural propensity in our culture to dislike our leaders. Have you noticed that? I don't care who it is. You know, the only time that we talk good about them is when they've been dead for 20 years. Do you know what I'm saying? When they're a president or when they're in charge, nobody talks good about them at all. I can't believe they did that. It's his thing. It's that thing. And we make up stuff to be mad at him about. But when he's dead for 20 years, boy, I wish it was back when he was there. Yeah, don't you remember you complained even then? We have a natural distrust. That's the word, isn't it? We have a natural distrust of leadership. Think about it. Whether it's at work, whether it's in civic functions or school functions, whether it's on the national or state level or local level, we have a distrust. It, can I be honest with you? It even happens in the church. And some of it, can I be honest with you? Rightfully so. Because we have been victim to poor spiritual leadership. But here's what I want you to see. If we're going to function, if we're going to maintain our faith in uncertain times, it is crucial that you bring yourself to a point where you acknowledge spiritual leaders. Now notice the word there is plural. Did you notice that the word's plural there? You notice when you look at verse 12, he uses the word recognize those. Again, it's a plural word. The reality is it's not that you recognize one dude, but rather you recognize collectively the leadership of your church. Because they're the ones who are guiding you, what? Spiritually. Did you understand what I'm saying? The first thing is that you, you recognize I'm not to go it alone. It's not just for me to try to figure it out. I've got to have in my life some spiritual leaders who will come alongside of me and who will what? Encourage me? Who will strengthen me? Who will maybe take me to the woodshed if I need taken to the woodshed? But I've got leaders who will help me through, guide me through, these uncertain times. See, so we've got to adopt a different mentality. Now you say, well, George, does that mean we, we can't hold them accountable? No, you've got to hold them accountable. There's other parts of the scripture that tell us hold our leaders accountable. But that doesn't mean you've got to ignore them. You've got to acknowledge them. Acknowledge the spiritual leaders in your life. You know, we have, we have leaders in our church. You know, when we have communion, they sit at the table. We need to acknowledge them. Because they're here for a reason, to guide us. Okay. Here's the second thing he says. Look at verse 13. And esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. What's he talking about? Esteem. What does that word esteem mean? Well, I mean, a better word would be respect. Here's what he's saying. Respect your spiritual leaders. Respect them for what they do. That's what he's saying here, isn't he? Esteem them for their work's sake. Respect them for what they do, what they do in your lives, how they guide you, how they how they how they encourage you, how they strengthen you. Respect them. Did you understand? what it, Give respect for them. So, if, the, if we're going to live as a community, it can't be just this willy-nilly by you know whatever the group decides type of thing. You need to have leaders who are going to guide you. Especially in these uncertain times. So he's talking about spiritual leadership here. Here's the th- second thing. He's going to talk about church life. Verse 14 through 15. Look at what he says here. These two verses. He's going to, he's going to bring out a couple of points here that I think are so foundational. If we're, going to, if we're going to have a church family, and if that living as that community is going to strengthen me as I'm facing uncertain times, look at what it's calling us to do here. Look at what it says. Verse 14. We exhort you, brethren... Warn those who are unruly, comfort the fainthearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for both yourselves and for all. Two things. Here's what he's saying. Patiently strengthen each other. Patiently strengthen each other. How do we do that, George? Well, he gives us several things that we're to do here. Look at what he says here. As a church family, this is not just talking about spiritual leaders here. This is not just talking about what the spiritual leaders are to do. This is what each of us need to be doing in our lives. This is what each of us need to be speaking into our lives. Look at what he says here. Warn those who are unruly. What does that mean, George? Well, I'll give you an illustration. Like, you know, sometimes... You know, I'm a dad, I've got four kids, and through the years, you know, as pastor, when I've been up here preaching, I've looked out of the corner of my eye, and I've noticed that uh, maybe somebody shouldn't have been doing something. And I either try to give them the evil eye, uh, but I've definitely warned them afterwards. Did you know what I mean? That's, that's really what the connotation of that message is. And so what we're doing is, is you know, as believers, we come, we interact with each other during the week, and if we notice that somebody isn't doing right, the words is, we need to warn them. Hey, what are you doing? You have that right as a believer. Oh, well, they'll say, don't judge me. Folks, you're not offering a judgment, you're warning them. By the way, their reaction expressed they understand what you're talking about. The reality is is that you need to warn them to go in a right direction. Do you understand what I'm saying? You need to warn them to go in a right direction. Here's the other thing. He says to them what? Comfort the faint-hearted. Every one of us here needs comfort at some point, don't we? Hey, does everybody here have perfect lives where nothing goes wrong? Does everybody here have a perfect life where the boss doesn't get on you? Does everybody here have a perfect life where your vehicle never has a problem? Where bills don't unexpectedly show up? Does everybody have that kind of life here? I think all of us know that that happens in our lives, right? And when you have that stuff happen, one of the most immediate reactions from all of us here, including myself, is is we get what? Discouraged. And if you're a believer it goes the next step farther, your 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 faith begins to waver. And what he's calling us here is, is he's saying, you know, you don't just warn the unruly, you bring comfort to the faint-hearted. See, that's what it's talking about, strengthening each other. You bring comfort, you bring encouragement, because you know that right now they're going through the discouragement. And especially, look, especially if you've gone through it yourself, right? If you've gone through it yourself, You know that somebody else needs that encouragement because you needed it. Well, you know, George, I don't really like nebbing in people's business. You know, I don't want to be nosy. No, no, it's not a question of nosy. People are waiting to see, does anybody care? I've yet to hear a discouraged person say, why are you bothering me? He says strengthen each other. And I think the one thing he says there that's really interesting is be patient. That's what it is. You know, as we are strengthening each other, here's the issue, folks. It's going to require something from us. What's that? That we've got to be patient with each other. Because when you're warning the person who's not doing right, I can almost guarantee you, he's not necessarily going to respond immediately the right way. So you've got to be patient with him. And if you're trying to bring comfort to somebody who's discouraged, they're not immediately going to get over their discouragement. Have you noticed that? They actually might get deeper into their depression. But you got to be patient with them. Hey, you know, we've got to be patient. We've got to, what, put up with each other. Have you noticed that? That's what he's talking about. This is what he's saying for church life. If we're going to live as a community. We've got to patiently strengthen each other. Here's the other thing he says. Look at verse 15. Seek what is good, not vengeance. Seek what is good, not vengeance. See, that's the way our culture operates. You do me wrong, I am going to pay you back at some point. may not be right now, but payback's coming. But that's not the attitude that should be in church. You don't render evil for evil, he says. But rather you seek what is good, not just for yourself, because isn't that true, we will seek what's good for ourselves, right? I mean, if you're a human being... You're going to make sure that somebody's taking care of you, and that's you. You're going to take care of yourself. But he's saying, don't just seek good for yourself. But notice he uses the word there. Notice what he says. Not even just for your friends, but for all. Look at the last part of that verse there, verse 15. Seek what is good for yourselves and what? For all. See, if you've got a church family... If you've got a community of believers who's going to strengthen you in the times of uncertainty, they're going to patiently strengthen you, but they're also going to seek what is good for you. They're not just going to seek to get even with you because you irritated them. That's the reality. Isn't, isn't that the kind of church we want to be? Isn't that? I mean, a lot of us have been in churches where it was anything but that. But this is what we're called to be, isn't it? This is what we're called to be. So then he goes on and says, look, how do you need to live? How do you need to live? If you're a part of this community, how do you need to live? He's going to talk about your personal holiness. Look with me, verses 16 through 18. Just three short statements. First one, verse 16, rejoice always. Second one, verse 17, pray without ceasing. And then, verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Three things I want you to see here. In fact, you can almost say some some question the last part of verse 18 to as to whether it's just simply the will of God just to give thanks or it's the will of God to do all three of these things. Either way, it's fine. But here's the three things he's telling us to do. Number one, be joyful. Be joyful. you say, you know, George, hey, that's a great concept, but you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know the difficulties there. You want me to be happy? No, I didn't say you need to be happy. I said you need to be joyful. There's a difference. Happiness is based upon your feelings. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Happiness is a fleeting moment. You know, like sometimes I wake up in the morning, folks. I am not happy in the morning. But that has nothing to do with joy because my joy is not based upon how I'm feeling. My joy isn't even based upon what kind of circumstances I'm going through. My joy is based upon the love of Jesus Christ and what He did for me. And I can have joy in Christ no matter what's going on around me, because He's my hope. Do you see what He's calling us to? Do you see how contagious that would be? Is that even in spite of the reality of what's going on in our lives, that when we come together as a church family Our faith as a whole would be strengthened if joy just expressed out of our lives because we're thankful about Jesus. We find our joy in Christ, not the circumstance we're going through. Here's what else he says. Be joyful. What's the other one? Pray continually. Some have taken what Paul says here, pray without ceasing to an extreme to me. Does that mean i got to pray every second of the day, George? No. That's not what he's talking about. Paul, Paul knows that. He knows that you're not going to be praying every moment of the day. What is he talking about, though? That you have an attitude of prayer throughout the day. That you talk to Jesus throughout the day. See, prayer is not just simply your, your five minutes or your 30 minutes with God in the morning or your two-minute prayer or 30-second prayer before you pray over a meal. It's, it's throughout the day you're talking to Jesus about what's going on. You have an attitude of prayer. You're praying continually. Lord, do you see what's going on? I need your help right now. God, did you hear that? How am I supposed to respond to that? It's it's an attitude of prayer. Then he says the third thing there. Look at what he says. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. In fact, why don't you look at what he says in verse 18? Because you say, oh yeah, that's good. I can give thanks to God. Yeah. Okay. But look at exactly what he says. In everything, give thanks. Everything, George? Everything. In the good times and the bad times. In the midst of the struggles, in the midst of the victories. You give thanks to God. You thank Him. Well, you know what, George? I don't know that I got anything to thank Him for. You're drawing breath, aren't you? You got gas in your car, right? You got a roof over your head. I don't see very many emaciated people here. So that means you're eating something. You have salvation, right? You have a hope for the future. You have a part you're a part of a church family, right? I mean, we could go on and on and, and begin to list the things that we are thankful for. Remember the old hymn we used to sing it long ago for those of you who remember church? Long ago we used to sing, count your blessings. I won't sing it to you because I can't sing. But I'll, I'll just say the words to you. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Remember those songs? You know, here's the reality. It's calling for, you know, if we're going to be a community of faith that's going to help us, that's going to help us. In the times of uncertainty. And folks, it's going to get even more uncertain. Do you realize that? Oh, you say, oh, George, it's just because the economy is doing bad right now. Everybody's in a negative mood. No, 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 no. No, Give me a a break. It's not just because the economy. Even if the economy was doing well, times are uncertain. If we're going to do that, three things come out of this passage. Number one, you allow your leaders to be leaders to guide you. Number two. You be a vital part of your church family. You strengthen each other patiently. And then number three, you be the person you need to be as a part of that family. What? You're giving thanks. You are joyful. You are praying. That's what it means here. That's what it means to be a part of a community together in the midst of these times. So you say, okay, George, what are we going to do here with this? Well, Let me give you two questions to think about. And again, with these questions, I'm not wanting you just to think about them right now. I want you to take some time to think about it during the week because they're very vital questions because there are going to be questions about us as a church family and about you. So here's the first one. How important is your church family to you? Wow. What a question. Have you thought about that one? I want you to think about it. I don't want you just to think about it right now. I really want you to digest this one. I want you to chew the cud on it. Did you know what I mean? I want you to wrestle with this one. How important is your church family to you? And you can answer that in a lot of different ways. You can say, oh, yeah, they're the folks I see on Sunday morning when I go. Well, that expresses something, doesn't it? Or you could say, you know what, life stinks, times are tough, but I know there's a group of people who love me. And they're important to me because i got to be a part of them. Because I want you to understand this. And we're going to be bringing this out more and more here, especially in a couple of weeks here as we enter in. We're going to do a series on what it is to be a church. Church is more, are you ready for this? Write this down. Church is more than just a service. And if you have the idea that church is just a service, a worship service, then you're missing out. Church is a whole lot more than that. Church is the people who come together and say, we're here because of Jesus Christ and we love each other, we put up with each other for Jesus. So how important is your church family to you? You gotta ask yourself that question. You know, and don't say, I don't really want to know your answer. You gotta have, in your heart, you know the answer. In fact, the Lord knows the answer. Here's the second question. Fits right with the first one. What impact are you making on the church family? What impact are you making on the church family? You say, oh, we okay, George. You know, but yeah, you know what? I don't, I don't serve as a leader. I don't play in the band. I don't teach a Sunday school class or lead a Bible study. I don't help in the kitchen. If that's what your concept of having an impact on the church family is, then you're missing the boat. Because that's what it used to be. In fact, I'm sorry to say this as a pastor. That for years our church has communicated service in terms of doing. an impact in terms of doing at a church. Or how much you give. That's really not the issue. You can have an impact on the church family in many ways. How, George? Just by doing verse 14 and 15. How about let's start there. Strengthen each other patiently. Just by doing those things. Just by being the person that you need to be. One of the greatest things that you could do is what? Just seeking the good rather than seeking vengeance. Seeking the good for others. That will have an impact, won't it? You, know, you want to know another impact? Some of the tremendous people who have impacts in our church don't physically do anything, but they pray. They pray for their church. They pray for people in the church. They pray for the needs. They pray for families. They pray for kids. They pray. What kind of impact are you making on your church family? Don't excuse it away by saying, well, you know, that really doesn't apply to me because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that involved. No, no, no. Your involvement is more than just a position. It has to be more than that. You can have a tremendous impact on people. So what do we do about that, George? Here's your action point. Ask the Spirit to help you to be a vital part of the family. Ask the Spirit to help you to be a vital part of the family. You need to go to Him and say, Lord, I love my church family. I love Kerwinsville Christian Church. And Lord, I want to be a vital part. Lord, maybe you want me to pray. Show me what I need to do. Maybe you want me to just be an encouraging arm for somebody who's discouraging. Show me what I need to do. Maybe you want me to progress in leadership so I can be a part of the leadership guiding our church. Show me what I need to do. But Lord, I want to be a vital You help me. You, Lord, you help me to be what you want me to be, to be a vital part of our church family. See, that's what we need to be striving for, to have an impact.
0: Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania.